It's been sort of quiet in here this morning, except for the last five minutes. Have you noticed? Is everybody feeling all right? Why don't you stand up a second? Just stand up a second. And uh, just wiggle. Shake a little something. Just That's really strange looking from here, but uh, that's good. Okay, all right, all right. Just everybody needs to get loose. I have felt some kind of um, unnecessary tension. Anybody else felt any unnecessary tension? I can't hear. Well, okay. Giordano in the back. Well, it's okay. All right. Well, I'm on uh, my favorite topic, which is God. And I've been talking about the supernatural ways of God, and this is part five. And um, the rest of these are at queencity.church under media online for free. If you'd like to go back and listen to them or catch up or look at some of the other things we have. Um, But I have had, I don't know, I have had so many interruptions. How many of you have been going through like a season of interruptions to keep your focus off balance? Anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of you. Let's pray against it. You want to? Or you want to just keep getting interrupted? Why don't we pray? Lord, we're um, asking you uh, for those unnecessary interruptions, those frustrations, those exasperations. We pray that um, peace really would Increase among us, that our focus, that our confidence, that all those things, Lord, just like Eric was praying earlier, Lord, that they would increase. Uh, the increase of your government shall see no end, and your government's a government of peace, Lord. So we're, uh, we're opting for the government of the kingdom of God this morning and all that that entails in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have been talking for a number of weeks, like I've just mentioned, on the supernatural ways of God. And currently, we're looking at the life of Moses centered around um, Exodus chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. One of the things that's really struck me more this season, maybe more than any other season, is how God will just intervene. He will just um, up and do something nobody expects. Um, I've talked about uh, the life of Zacharias, who became the father of John the Baptist, that um, he and his wife uh, were unable to have children. And through a pretty interesting course of events, he found himself at the right place at the right time with the right thing happening. And next thing you know, he has a child. That child uh, happens to be the one that prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus, which is quite remarkable. But he found himself in this divine providence. There are these, there are these moments where God will just sometimes invite it, sometimes not invite it. He will just move into a life. He'll move into a family. He'll move into a corporation or a company. He, he can move into a nation. Uh, that is so, so evident from the scripture. But we, we need for God who will just jump into the middle of what's going on and, and help us. 
And so then we looked at, um, we've been looking at Moses and, of course, the history of Egypt when uh, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers uh, went to Egypt under remarkable circumstances. Egypt was like heaven on earth for them for probably 30 or 40 years. But then there was a Pharaoh who no longer remembered who Joseph was or appreciated um, the family of, of Jacob. And so over 400 years, they became slaves. Uh, that means they were slaves almost twice as long as America has been a sovereign nation. So 400 years, that's a long, long time. I think America, if you, if you uh, mark it from 1776, uh, it's about 240 years. Well, they were slaves at this point in their history, 240 years. They were slaves another, what, 160 years. So they had that slave mentality. And at a given point, the Egyptians grew concerned because the, uh, the Israelites became so strong, even as slaves, they were afraid they would join their enemies. They were afraid they would uh, leave and wreck their economy. And so they began to oppress them. And, and what they, one of the things they did, they had to make bricks, and it was easier to make bricks with straw. So they made them make bricks without straw, so their labor would be hard. And so they did a number of things like that to intentionally oppress them and hold them down. And then at a given point, they decided, Pharaoh decided, we'll kill all the male-born children. And at that point, Moses was born. And here again, we find this divine providence, right place, right time, right person. Moses' mother and uh, his sister put him in the ark, of, and, and they put the ark just this little basket, and they put it in the river. Pharaoh's daughter hears the child cry and through course of time adopts the child, actually enlists the sister and uh, Moses' sister and mother to raise the child and pays for the child's upbringing and does it in Pharaoh's palace. You know, you talk about divine providence. You go from basically what was called the river of crocodiles, a certain death, and... The very person who wanted to do you harm winds up paying for your education and your livelihood. Now, that's remarkable. Somebody think that's wonderful, please. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's so wonderful to know the Lord. It's so wonderful to know that we have a God that does things like that. And um, But poor old Moses goes from right place, right time, right person to... Wrong place, out of time, no one there to help him. He understands and identifies with his people group, the, the Jews or the, uh, the Hebrews, more than he does with the Egyptians. In a given point, he um, kills an Egyptian that's aflip, uh, afflicting one of his kinsmen. And then he finds out people know about it. And so he runs for his life and he spends 40 years following sheep. And so when we... Look at these verses this morning. Once again, we're going to read what we read last week. Um, Moses is 80 years old. And I can only imagine what he thought at 80. Um, how many of you have waited 40 years for a promise? 40 years. 
how many of you, I don't know, it's amazing. You talk about from, from the palace to the dunghill, Moses went from Pharaoh's son to wandering around in the wilderness with these sheep. And um, you, you can only imagine the thought processes Moses has been going through for all those years. I'm sure there were times he felt like um, God had forsaken him. Anybody ever felt that way? Everybody feels that way at some point. That's called the human condition. It's just one aspect. It's why faith is so important. There are going to be times where um, you don't feel the presence of God. But God never goes anywhere. He doesn't have anywhere to go. Where's God going to go? If he's everywhere at all times, where is he going to go? It's us. It's our emotional condition. It's our feeling. Sometimes I think the Lord restricts our ability to sense his presence to help us develop our faith. Everybody has strong faith as a Christian when they don't need it. Boy, when we're on top of the world, we can tell the rest of the world what to do and quote them a good verse and pat them on the back, send them on their way, talk ugly about them when they're gone about uh, their, you know, their poor spiritual condition. But uh, it doesn't take much for the Lord to challenge us in our faith, does it? You know, sometimes things so small, it, it's embarrassing that, that really bother us. But So Moses goes from right place, right time, right person. He goes from like... Um, like the, you know, there are these seasons sometimes of people have had these seasons of, of unparalleled success. They have these seasons of the favor of God on their life and they have no clue how little it actually has to do with them until that season's over. And then they try to reclaim something they never really had on their own to, to begin with. It was, uh, there, there's some, there's some times where you can get caught up in some plan God has and he involves you in it, and you mistake it for your own ability to excel in life. Oh, my. Let me keep moving on here. This, these portion, this portion of the Bible, to me, <laughs> is so pregnant with insight and revelation. Uh, Ray Hughes used to say um, when he was trying to preach, and he had so much to say, and he didn't know where to start, he said, Man, this is like being a, a mosquito at a nudist colony. I know what to do. I just don't know where to start. And that really, somebody, there was a courtesy chuckle after somewhere. Now, my wife was not very, I ran that joke by her this morning, and she really did not give me the seal of approval on it. <laughs> but if she had been more insistent on me not sharing it, I wouldn't have. So it's still probably her fault. But let's do this. That's my philosophy of life, if you figure that out yet. Let's read this together. And I have something so wonderful. I have, a, I have a new toy that everyone should be thrilled that I have. I am, uh, oops, I don't know how to play with it yet, but um, I'm controlling all that up there. So anytime this doesn't work, it's my fault now. But let's read this, and every once in a while I'm going to stop and make some comments because I want to catch you up on some of this stuff, and then we'll just see how far we go. Because if we're all eating here, it doesn't matter when we get to lunch, does it? 
Do you know about the food truck? Who, who doesn't know about the food truck's going to be outside here in a few minutes? I noticed the Flockman family came early. I think they thought we were going to eat before church. But uh, anyway, everybody's welcome. Money in a lawn chair and you're good. All right. Don't stand up. I'll read this because I'm going to make comments. And, and it's nothing worse than the preacher saying stand up and then he preaches at you when you're standing up. And you're thinking, God, I just want to sit back down. But So I'm not going to do that to you. But it reads this way. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert. My goodness, look at that, would you? Where did he lead them to? Come on, toy. Oh, okay, I'll just use that thing. To the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That ought to terrify everybody to know that Moses' life only changed when he wound up at the back of the desert at a mountain called Horeb, which means desolate, which was called the mountain of God. That is not that encouraging unless you're in that kind of mess. And then you know, here's where we find Moses. We find him in the back of the desert at the mountain of God in a desolate place. In verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. That is just so amazing. Let me think. Let's see this. Bush was not consumed. I got colors. Now, this is terrible. It's so pitiful me up here doing this. But the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see or turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Well, the idea here is that God initiates some kind of an encounter. In other words, God initiated this whole burning bush experience. And when Moses, right place, right, isn't this amazing? Right place, right time, right circumstance, right God. God actually in Moses' life changed absolutely everything negative into something absolutely amazing in a moment in time. Now this is just a picture. Most of our desolations, most of our deserts are really not circumstantial. They're internal. We think they're circumstantial, but really when we're in a circumstance and it affects us internally as desolation or hopelessness or fear, really we have an internal problem, not a circumstantial challenge. Because we have the capacity to have love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, no matter what situation's going, going on. Now, 
I don't know about you, I want that kind of life. I want the kind of life where it doesn't matter if I'm in trouble, if trouble's not in my heart. It doesn't matter. If you're not afraid, it doesn't matter how ferocious things are. If you're not on panic mode, it doesn't matter what's coming at your life. And you see, that is supposed to be what characterizes believers in our generation. People who have an internal capacity to enjoy life when life's not enjoyable. See, one of the things I know I'm called to, I'm not called to the political realm. I'm not called really even to the business realm. I'm called to a realm where I'm supposed to be imparting hope. I'm called to a place where I'm supposed to point people to someone and something that can so touch their lives, they can live as overcomers in situations that are very challenging. I've talked about this. You can find some of this on our, on our website. Hopelessness is the result of an inaccurate belief structure. Quote the verse about hope that you know most people quote. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But the only person who can defer your hope is you. Not your husband, not your wife, not your boss, not the government, not the guy at the car wash, not the person in traffic, you. You have authority over your own life and you have responsibility to be a hope-filled person regardless of your circumstance. Now, people could take exception to that and say, well, you know, that really bothers me and all that. I'm just pointing to a way that is attainable in this life. I mean, if we don't see what you can do, we will settle for what other people call normal life when it's abnormal life. If we don't understand how much God really wants to help us, if we don't understand what you actually can live like, we won't have a vision for a better life. We won't have a, we won't have a vision for a higher plane of existence. We'll live like everybody else is living. We'll complain about what everybody else is complaining about. Then invite them to church and hope they get saved. And they're thinking, get saved to what? You're as miserable as I am. You're as confused as I am. You don't have any more going on than I do. Now, I might go and meet some nice people, but if, but if it's about having some kind of a life that's above normal, looking at yours, I'm not convinced you have it either. That was a little negative, but you get the point. Oh my. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. One of the first characteristics of God really touching your life is you may lose something. When they talk about the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant, it says they, he took away the first to do what? Give us the second. Sometimes these difficult circumstances can end in some sense of loss, but sometimes it's only that sense of loss that gets your attention and wakes you up and, and begins to blow on the, the faith in your heart to, to, to stop taking what's coming. Tell me, tell you a story about my daddy. When my daddy was a little boy in South Georgia, his daddy was a gentleman farmer doctor but uh, they weren't that rich because it was during the Great Depression and sometimes he got paid in uh, 
talking to Eric, you know, chicken on the porch or a box of corn somebody put there in the night because he couldn't pay their doctor bill. And when my daddy was a little boy, uh, there was a real mean rooster in the barnyard. Daddy was about five or six, and that rooster took over uh, supremacy in the barnyard. And uh, whenever he saw my daddy coming, he'd chase after him and peck him. And uh, so one day my my granddaddy, his daddy said, son, how long are you going to put up with that? And he said, well... Uh, what should I do? He said, well, the next time that rooster runs at you, you run at the rooster. And when you get to him, kick him as hard as you can. <laughs> and daddy put on his brogans, his old work boots, little old five-year-old Johnny McMillan out there in the barnyard getting ready to face one of uh, his little young life's most serious obstacles and Here comes that rooster running at him, and daddy, man, sucks in just a little bit of extra oxygen and takes off running for that rooster. And when he gets to that rooster, he kicks that rooster right in the head, and that rooster rolls over and over and over, hits the barn, and lays in this ruffled heap. And that was the last time that rooster bothered my daddy. (laughs) Now, I've told that story before, and people have given me a hard time about cruelty to animals, which to me is such a stupid response to such an excellent story. (laughs) It's already happened, you know. But for some of you, it's time to kick the rooster. Some of you, it's time to start chasing what's chasing you, because it ain't going to quit till you turn and face it. Put them brogans on and get to running after that thing. That's really good. Oh, okay, let me see how this works. I'm so nervous I'm shaking. I don't know. All right, here we go. Moreover, he said, oh my, some of this is so rich, it's just killing me. I'm the God of your father. Say that with me. I'm the God of your father. Ask yourself, how well did Moses know his father? He didn't grow up in his father's house. This just struck me the other day when I read this. I used to think that I'm the God of your fathers, and then it named those three patriarchs. But what the Lord was saying, I'm the God of your father, And he doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does he say? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, why did he repeat the God of in front of each one? It's because he revealed himself differently to each one of these three patriarchs. And... Here's what struck me after he said, I'm the God of your father and then the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It says Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And I wondered, I thought back to that God of your father because I know from a psychological standpoint, a lot of people's fear, a lot of people's shame are father issues. 
And I wondered if, if the Lord, when the Lord said to Moses, I'm God, you know, when God is speaking to you face to face like this, his word really penetrates. Whatever's in that word gets in you and it will touch places in you. You don't even know need to be touched. And so when he says, I'm the God of your father, and then you see Moses hide his face because he was afraid. I wondered, I wonder if Moses had, you know, father issues that so many people have. I was thinking about my dad, you know, it's funny what works on you. I'll be 65 in January, and it was um, just two boys in my family, family of four, my older brother. And I didn't even realize I thought this, but it occurred to me, my father loved my brother more than he loved me. See, that, that for 60 plus years has affected my life and I didn't know it until the Lord showed me that. And then he took me through this foolproof process. So I was thinking about that and I thought, I, I have felt that way. I was the youngest, he was the oldest, he was tougher, I wasn't as tough. Well, he was older. He's supposed to be beating me up. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, he, he was supposed to be nicer than I was. But I, I, but the Lord takes me through this process, and so I'm thinking, my father loved my brother more than he loved me. And, and guess what question the Lord asked me? He said, is it true? And I said, well, it, it, I, I think it's true. He said, can you absolutely know that it's true? And I said, no, I can't absolutely know what was in my dad's heart. You see, the enemy is always lying. Then I can remember things my dad did for me. I remember when I was uh, like 25 and... It's just uh, the year before Donna and I got married was a very difficult year. And I, had, I was really in this season of, of, of a depression I didn't, I didn't know how to get out of. And my mom and dad, I, wouldn't, I didn't talk much to my mom and dad, you know, at that point. I was trying to be a grown-up, and it wasn't working, but I wasn't going to ask them for help. And one day my dad calls up, and he says, um, hey, you want to go to the circus? I said, what? He said, we'll go to the circus. I said, you want to go to the circus? He said, yeah, let's go to the circus. I said, okay. So he took me to the circus. He never took my brother to the circus. <laughs> he took me to the circus. Now, the point being is how many of us have these subconscious lies that are not true? They seem true. You think they're true. But what you think is true and what seems to be true has absolutely nothing to do with what is actually true. Here's how you know how true things are. When you believe them, do they demoralize you or do they build you up? Because Jesus said, the true truth shall liberate you. So I wondered, you know, did Moses have these father issues? He must have 40 years he murders a guy. He doesn't grow up in his father's household another 40 years. 
he, he's, uh, he's an alien. So he hides his face. And that breaks my heart, you know. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord showed up and we could turn our full face toward him, that there would be nothing in us terrorized or afraid, but we could fully be embraced by this God of love who calls himself our father. That'd be awesome. Because I believe that's what he wants. He wants us to come to him. So anyway, the Lord says, um, I've seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, So what's happened here is God appears to Moses. This is this is this is so crazy. This makes no sense. Can you imagine Moses wandering in the wilderness with sheep and suddenly he finds a bush? It's a blackberry bush or a thorn bush. It wasn't even a very nice bush. And that bush is burning and burning and it doesn't go out. So Moses stops to look at it and the bush begins to speak to him. That's why God said, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. What he was saying was, I am the same God, but this is a new season and there's something new I have to do. And the only way I can do it is if I show you a new side of who I am. Come on. You've got to hear that. For you to get from where you're going to where you need to be, you would already be there, but you're not there yet because you haven't seen a new side of God that will get you there. And so many people get stuck in the rut. I'm not, I'm not putting down denominations. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not doing that. But you have to admit an aspect of denominations is God showed himself to people a certain way. And to them, that's the way God was and always shall be. And then he comes and he does something else with a different people group. And they think God is not that way. He's this way. And then something else happens and God comes again in another way. And they say, well, he's not that way and he's not that way. God is really this way. But the truth is he's this way and that way and this way. And you'll miss the biggest thing in your life if you don't understand. He needs to reveal himself to you perhaps in a way you've never seen him. But it will all fit within the biblical construct. Do you understand what I mean by that? But there are precedents. I remember... Um, Growing up in the Presbyterian church, I never saw anybody answer an altar call. Do you know why? We never had one. And I remember one day I got all stirred up and answered an uncalled altar call. And as like 11-year-old boy, I'm something's going on. I don't even understand it myself. I'm up there looking at the preacher and he's looking at me and, you know, they're getting, he doesn't know what to do, so they Presbyterian churches, they kick into the Lord's Prayer and call it quits. And he comes and asks me if I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I'm okay. 
okay. <laughs> then I go, <laughs> then I go to college. And mama wants me to go to church. I don't want to go to church in college. It ain't done me any good in high school. And I don't want to go. But I love my mama. How many of you know you would do stuff for your mama you won't do for anybody else in the world? Half out of love, half out of fear. <laughs> so I have hair down to here. And I and I and it's the first happened to be a Sunday night, and so I go I go to their Sunday night meeting, and one of the elders of the church meets me on the steps and tells me um, I'm going to have to get a haircut to go to church there. And I thanked him. I said, thank you. <laughs> I thought, that's that. <laughs> that was easy. I never went back. But I'd had a little bit of an encounter with the Lord in high school, and there was something about the Lord. He will not ultimately leave you alone. If God leaves you alone, you're in serious trouble. You're in serious trouble. He won't leave you alone. He won't leave you alone. And at a given point, out of curiosity, say that one word with me, curiosity. Out of curiosity, I began to investigate other Christian spiritual movements that I had basically been warned against. A woman that had to do with, well, the Jesus movement and speaking in tongues. And, um, so I went, I went through this process of curiosity and I, I thought, well, I read the Bible. The Bible never said, people say the Bible says tongues went out, but in that very verse, it says knowledge goes out when tongues goes out and we're still hunkered down on knowledge pretty good. And then I realized, um, God still wants to fill people with the Holy Spirit. God still wants to give people uh, this language that builds them up, that helps them in times of difficulty. It's an amazing, an amazing gift. So I got, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and I spoke in tongues, and I started seeing people getting healed, and I started seeing people that had demonic problems get instant deliverance. Everything's not like that, but I did see some of that, and I thought, this is a lot different from where I went to church. But but there was, at this point, there was this curiosity and this hunger. And also, I was a little bit aggravated. These people have been holding out on me. There's more cool stuff in the Bible than I ever knew. I thought it was just, you know, two songs and a butt kicking and an offering, and you got sent your merry way, and that was church. You know, somebody's going to chew you out for what you didn't do right and tell you what, and I thought, well, but no, I discovered a God who could dwell in you in ways that came out of you that were tangible. I, I discovered a God that would heal sick people. I discovered a God that would speak to you. And that's tricky. You know, people get scared about that. God speaks to people all the time. He's just not using English and it's not out loud. But he really does. I've got a whole history. I've got 
30 stories I could tell. I don't mean, I'm not exaggerating. I got 30 stories I could tell you right now about how God has spoken to me and then prove to you the reality that is what really, really happened. So I got this hunger. I got this insatiable. I don't know if it's insatiable, but it was pretty strong. I got this hunger to know more about the Lord. And the problem was most of the Christians I knew didn't like me for doing that. Matter of fact, this church school I went to, it was a Presbyterian college. My grandfather was on the board of directors that met over the entire college. And at one given point, the conversation in the elders meeting over the demise of the college was it was Robin McMillan, the hippie's fault. And then when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to believe what the New Testament said, every New Testament believer could actually be doing, they didn't like me then either. And so I thought, man, coming and going, I don't fit with this crowd. But what I discovered was I was on a pathway to a discovery of God that was more valuable and more important for me and my family and my generation and the people that I would influence and eventually influence than having anybody understand what I was going through or what I felt or how I was living my life. And you see, until the church rises up in some ways, and, and, and I don't, I don't know how to say this, but, but there's something about being willing to, to go into situations where you're misunderstood that is valuable, more valuable than popularity, more valuable than being understood. My mother never understood me that way. My father never understood me that way. My brother, who's the only living part of my family, still doesn't understand me. And it's okay because I have met a God that's real. I have met a God that talks to me. I have met a God that helps me when I am in trouble. I have met a God that is real as anyone in this room. And you cannot talk me out of him anymore. I have an experience and an experience is more valuable than an opinion or an idea or a theology or anything any other group of people may have to say about it. I know what I know and I know who I know. I think about poor Moses. <laughs> the Lord appears to him out of a sticker bush and talks to him, scares him half to death, tells him to take his shoes off, tells him, I have... Um, I have a, a little job I want you to do, Moses. He said, what's that? It's uh, go get two million slaves out of bondage and rescue them from this evil nation where they've been for 400 years. And so he says, um, what? Can you imagine talking to a bush? Think, can you imagine talking to a, a fiery bush? Can you imagine having to go back to the elders of Israel and tell them, hey, the Lord sent me here to help you. Really? Really? What Lord? Ours. What are you talking about? Well, there, I, I was, I was in the, uh, but, uh, I had my sheep and I was back there by that mountain and, uh, I saw this. I saw this bush, and uh, 
thought, man, somebody lit that bush on fire but doesn't go out and didn't want to burn down Horeb in the worst part of the desert. So I went over there and God was in that bush. God was, God was talking to me. I was talking to this bush. <laughs> Now, you may laugh, but sometimes that's how stupid you feel when you tell people about Jesus. You tell them about somebody invisible. At least Moses saw something, right? <laughs> well, what did he t- Okay, we're having a little trouble with that, Moses. What did he, what did he do? Well, he told, me, he told me to take my shoes off. What? <laughs> Oh, barefoot Moses in the talking bush. Um, well, the next thing that happened, because Moses was thinking ahead. He said, Lord, uh, I need to tell him your name. What's your name? And, and the Lord said, tell them <laughs> why you can't pronounce it. So he gives them an unpronounceable name to tell him who he is. Yah. We call him Yahweh or Jehovah, but really there are no consonants or just vowels. That's that's about as close as you really get to what is in the text. Who sent me? So, okay, let's let's look at how the Lord sent Moses to change the world. He gives him this weird encounter nobody's going to understand, number one. Number two, he gives him a name nobody can pronounce to identify who he is. And then number three, he gives him equipment. He gives him this equipment. What equipment did the Lord give Moses? Well, Moses says, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And the Lord says, well, what's in your hand? And he's got a stick. And the Lord said, that's all you need, man. You just need that stick. He said, what are you talking about? He says, well, throw it down. He throws his shepherd rod down. It turns into a snake. So ferocious, Moses runs away from it. And then the Lord goes back and tells him to pick it up. So see, you're not going to go the distance until you face your fears, right? We've looked at that a little bit earlier. You've got to kick that rooster. You've got to pick up that snake. Now, here's the other thing. Every person, somebody say, just say every person. Every person. Say, I am that person. I am. Every person has something in their hand with much greater potential than they know. You see, Moses basically, the Lord basically told Moses, I'm giving you this stick, and then I'm going to give you a couple of other signs. Stick your hand in your garment. When you pull your hand out, it's leprous. Stick it in, pull it back out. It's not. And then there was this thing about pouring this water on the ground. It turned into blood. So it's like God gives him a weird encounter, an unpronounceable name, a stick that becomes a snake and two magic tricks and sends him in there to the elders of Israel. Now, they weren't magic tricks, but I mean, can you not laugh about it? Do you think, I think one of God's main hidden attributes is a sense of humor. Jesus, watch this. This is going to be so incredible. We're going to get Moses to go. <laughs> He's going to release these people with the stick 
and two little tricks. It's going to be awesome. If I can just get him to go, he'll be amazed at what happens. Does it make, does it make any sense? Now, what I'm really talking about, as strange as this whole message is, is I'm talking about the Bible. Yeah, I've heard people say some weird thing will happen. You know, God will do some strange things. That's just all there is to it. They're not strange to him. They're strange to us because he's God and we're not. And we think we are, but he knows we're not and he knows who he is. So he'll do this stuff and we'll go, that can't be God. Why? Well, it just can't be. Why can't it not be God? Well, I've never seen it before. Really? See, one of the things you need to understand about what happened with Moses at the bush was God will do things he hasn't done before. It won't uh, violate the integrity of the scripture. But have you not seen what's in the book? We underestimate the value of feeling foolish. Feeling foolish has kept us from our highest victories. So, say that with me. Feeling foolish has kept us from our highest victories. You will never go the distance until you are no longer paralyzed by looking foolish. We see that here in the life of Moses. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. Lord, how should I heal this man's blindness? Well, why don't you, why don't you uh, spit in some mud and put that on his eyes? Really? Somebody might say, Robin, have you ever spit on anybody and seen them get healed? Two people. Two. Two people. I asked their permission. Is that strange? Of course it's strange. Is it un do they teach that in medical school? No, I don't think they do. Does it always work? Mm -mm, or I'd be spitting all the time. <laughs> but what I'm saying is obedience... Now, this is really dangerous because you can do some stupid stuff trying to be obedient. But there's a difference in doing what you're told and trying something to see if it's God. But feeling foolish is one of the major hurdles in going the distance. Now, I think we're just about done right here. Um, why don't we stand together? We'll say the blessing in a minute, too. Stephen, do we have ministry teams today? If any of you need any prayer, some of you may need uh, deliverance from this message. <laughs> but I'm thinking now about the God of Abraham. Say that with me. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. How about the God of Robin, the God of Tyler? Let, let, why don't we say this? Put your name in here. I want to know the God of. You put your name in there. Because he wants to be that personal God to you. And it's the same God of our fathers. Lord, I want you to be to me the God of Robin. I want you to be to me the God of. Say your name. Lord, I don't want to be unnecessarily afraid of you. I want to have a hunger and a drive to know you better. Lord, I want life for people around me to be better because I know you. Let's pray that together. Lord, I want the lives of those people around me to be better because I know you. Lord, we call this church Queen City Church and we want to be a blessing to Charlotte. Charlotte. 
Lord, help us care for not the masses, but the individuals. Lord, help us love the ones we run into, the ones we see, the ones we can touch and talk to. Father, we, we, we just ask for that. Lord, you're so wonderful, and Lord, I never get tired. I just never get tired of these unbelievable stories about what you've done in people's lives. It's so wonderful, Lord. Keep it up. Lord, be our God. We invite you. We invite you. Be our God. Interject yourself into the affairs of our lives, Lord, into the affairs of our city and our county and our state and our nation, Lord, in this world. We ask, we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right.